0: Logically Faithful, this is Kaldun Swice where we are engaging culture redemptively and addressing suffering productively. This is the uh, lecture I gave on why we cannot find happiness using the work of Soren Kurtigart. The uh, conversation, the lecture picks up a little bit after it gets started due to some technical problems but I'll go ahead and uh, let you get um, into it right now. So thanks for your time. I hope you enjoy it. Please do give me some feedback on either Facebook or social media uh, or review for this podcast and or a like for the uh, links. That would help me continue doing what I'm doing and get the message out to more people. I appreciate you. Thank you. Go ahead and get started. I'm going to get into here with, uh, talk to you about Soren Kierkegaard and his work. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard wrote about the three stages of life. And in these three stages of life, I'm going to get into addressing exactly what these are and how they work through. Um, He's going to be dealing specifically here with what you see is the concept of being bored, boredom, uh, anxiety, and despair. uh, These types of um, situations arise themselves in anyone who deals with life long enough. Søren Krtergaard dealt with it in a profound way in his wonderful works. He was a philosopher, a Danish philosopher, uh, writing in um, the 19th century called the golden age of philosophy. He was a profound thinker um, and a very disturbed individual on a personal level. But Pascal found in his life, excuse me, not Pascal, so i I found in his life that to be truly deeply spiritual and deeply individual, you need to deal with despair, you need to deal with the boredom and not ignore it and try to fill it with other things. Ultimately, all of life will lead you toward boredom, anxiety, and despair. They're the human psyche's major problems and they're the ills of every man, woman, and child that lives long enough. The relief from boredom can only be fleeting. Passion or good play or simulated um, a situation with your friends or a great meal, all these things can alleviate it for a time. But sooner or later, they will come back. You know, boredom, despair anxiety, or despair. How do we deal with these in the best way? So humanity has found different ways to deal with them. The first stage that uh, Soren Kierkegaard talks about is called the aesthetic stage. Now, The the aesthetic stage is a stage where a child is born into. Uh, 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 The great thinker, uh, P.A.J. and other child psychologists will tell us that all of us go through what's called the oral or the anal stage or the stage of the beginning where we only see the world like a baby. And the only way to enumerate or to deal with the pain and the, um, the, the, the frustration of the world is to fill it with other things, such as my toys, uh, my family, my friends. As you see the picture there of the little baby, he's a little angry. <laughs> because why is he angry? He's angry maybe because um, he hasn't been fed or his, uh, his diaper is a little full or his mama stepped out of the room. Now, the problem is with this child is that if you give him a WMD, that would be a weapon of mass destruction, he would probably use it and wipe everyone out. Why? Because all the world is about him. That's how he thinks. And this is a childish, immature way of thinking. One of the differences between a mature individual and an immature one is a mature individual sees the world that it's not only about me. I am not the center of the universe. And as you begin to grow, you begin to try to fill your life with other things that satisfy you. And at this first stage, the aesthetic stage that Soren Critical talks about, it's a stage that says, I will try to fill it with sensory pleasures and experiences, such as more money, more sex, more relationships, more power, things that will bring me a sense of um, pleasure. And there's more of that. Wine, great food, time with friends. Uh, these are wonderful things. Some of them can be, of course, too much of it can be problematic, but filling our life with these aesthetic pleasures is what brings life joy. Uh, It's a wonderful thing to be able to enjoy the first stage of life. Um, Now, uh, Soren Kretikar says the following about it. Spending time seducing others solely for the sake of the chase, such as in romance, enjoying the beauty of music and travel and by the way, I love to travel too with music, intellectual conversations, and fine food. The refined aesthetic taste indulges in the fanatical hope of an endless journey from star to star. The first stage of life, whether you are a child or an adult, is constantly moving from one aesthetic high to the next. And it doesn't have to be sex, drugs, and rock and roll, it can be traveling to the next city, Paris, Rome. Italy, Barcelona, or moving from one lover to the next, or moving from one piece of music to the next, or one class to the next, or one uh, weekend to the next. It's living that stage of constant bliss, but you never are ever able to fill your endless desire for happiness that way. It can't be filled. That's why you have to keep changing it. The second stage is a higher level. art tells us that the ethical stage is a stage where we end up joining a mosque or a church or an organization. We find ourselves connected to uh, the FBI as a group. It's a great group to join into, great money you can make. Or you join a police force or become a professor or a teacher <laughs> or a, a lawyer or an engineer or a mother or a father. And find meaning and significance in the stage where you are no longer looking at yourself, but you're looking altruistically to others. I'm no longer feeling, as the first stage does, a constant desire to fill my life with pleasure, pleasure, happiness, pleasure. What I'm looking for now is a sense of looking after others. And by looking after others, I join organizations that do that, such as the church or the FBI or even joining a march against Black Lives Matter, which is happening all over the country right now, social justice groups. I find my my meaning by helping other people, not helping myself. It's a higher level. It's a wonderful level. It's how you find um, business. By the way, if you want to make some good money, find something that people really need. Create that or work with somebody who has that And then you will fill a niche. You will fill a need that people have. Then you can find money and um, a sense of um, security for your own family. But hopefully you're not doing it just to find satisfaction because ultimately, as I mentioned in the first stage, it's not going to fill you. But finding that by helping others, such as creating a new iPhone or creating a new medical device or a new um, respiratory system that helps with COVID-19, those are ways of finding meaning in a social level at the ethical level. By helping other people or dealing with racism um, in your communities or in your own life, etc. So these are ways that you can help others become better by dealing with problems on an individual level with a group of people. And that can be done by joining a group or it can be done by joining an organization or a business. So the second stage is a great stage of growth and it's a way of finding connection to the social group. Now here's a problem with the second stage. It's called groupthink. It's losing your sense of self is what Soren Kirtigar tells us. When I join a church, I'm no longer an individual. I'm part of a Christian community or, or a mosque, a Muslim community, or a Buddhist community. When I join the um, FBI or the police force, I'm no longer an individual. I'm part of a unit. When I join a, um, a social cause, I'm no longer an individual finding myself. I'm, find, I'm a part of a group that does it. And when I deviate from that group, When I start to say things that are theologically or sociologically or politically incorrect, I'm ostracized by that group. I'm pushed aside. And when that happens, I feel back to the earlier portions I mentioned earlier, anxiety, boredom and rage and a sense of uh, aloneness. So to alleviate those, I go through the first stage again, but that doesn't satisfy me. I go back to the second stage and that helps me find my connection with others. Or when I'm connected with others, the danger is it's losing yourself. You lose your money, you lose your spouse, you lose your children, you lose your house. Like Soren Kretikar says, there's a greater tragedy than all of these. It's losing yourself and not even knowing it. Because you never found who you are. And to find what I am and who I am, I can't just do it by being lost in a cloud of, of a, a group of people. That group might help me find my identity in a cultural sense or a religious sense, but it doesn't help me find my identity as a deep, significant sense of who I am. But what does that even mean, who I am? Soren Kierkegaard in his writing argues, you'll never know the answer to that question unless you go through what he called despair. And I recommend his book uh, called The Sickness Unto Death, which is a profound book on the issue. That leads us now to the third stage, the spiritual stage. The spiritual stage or the third stage is a stage where people begin to realize that life is not just about me or about finding help in other people or finding significance by focusing on other people, but I have to look beyond me. Now, Soren Kritikar comes from the Christian tradition, and one of his strongest works is condemning the institutional church as he knew it. He argues that in order for one to grow spiritually or psychologically or theologically, they have to do it in contrast, in contradistinction to the organized organization around them, not in connection to it. Because in um, in his circles, people may actually go to a religious service, service like they did in the previous one and find a sense of um, hope and meaning by helping other people, social justice, or even... By helping themselves by reading the scriptures or going through mass or um, uh, doing the five pillars or whatever it is that they're doing in their religious organizations, but they only do it because everyone else is doing it. And woe to me if I dare go against that clan. Now, I come from an Islamic culture uh, in the Middle East, and woe to the individual Muslim if he stands up and says, I don't fully agree with the Quran. That's very dangerous to do because you're going against the social milieu of the day. It's very dangerous to do. You could actually lose your life uh, in some circles for doing that. But to find meaning in the third stage is to see beyond the group and to recognize the depth of despair that I go into. That I have to take what Christ talked about called take up my cross. Taking up the cross means taking up your responsibilities for the things you know you need to do and Jesus said, follow him. But even cutting or looking at this as a psychological perspective, if I cut off everything in my life, everyone I know, and just think for myself, what is it that will bring me happiness? It has to be something beyond what I could actually grasp. It has to be something that actually grasps me. It's like love. I can choose to love my mother or my spouse or my children, but I cannot choose to fall in love. This is something that happens to you, not something that you do. It has to be something that is a recognition of my own inadequacies as an individual, of the smallness of who I am in contradistinction to the universe around me. The uh, third stage of life, there's a stage for credit card that talks about a relationship with God that is exclusively personal. It's, it's significantly independent of being part of a community or a church or an organization. Although that helps you grow, it doesn't make you grow. Because you can feel part of the passion and the songs and the readings and the wonder of being part of a group, but never ever be transformed within. And guys, I know people who are deeply religious. And some of the worst jerks I've ever met in my life, they don't know how to be kind and loving to people around them because they've never been broken. They've never gone through a sense of despair to recognize that they themselves are not the bomb, that they're not God's gift to the world, that they need redemption as much as the the broken man on the street who has no home, no job, no, no community, no degree. They're also just as much made in the image of God as that individual. So being religious doesn't make you or lead you to the third stage. It still keeps you to the second stage. We believe in gravity because it, it's critical, uh, because we feel its constant effects upon us. It makes no sense to say we have faith in gravity since that would require the possibility that someday gravity would fail to materialize. Faith requires an uncertainty. And thus we can have faith in God, according to Sauron Kirtagari, because God is beyond logic, beyond proof, and beyond reason, but He's not in contradistinction to them. He's not opposed to them, because studying enough reason, studying enough logic, studying enough evidence, will actually lead you to recognizing that materialism, hedonism, narcissism, and the physical world itself is not enough. You need something beyond it to bring you meaning and hope. By the way, logically speaking, materialism or naturalism contradicts itself because it says on a philosophical level that the only thing real in life is the physical. But that's not true because thoughts are real and they're not physical. Justice is real, but that's not physical. Love is real, but it's not physical. Gravity is real, but let me say this clearly it's not physical. Gravity is another level of energy, but it's a different type of energy. There are things in life that are not physical that make the physical real, that make the physical allowed to exist, such as the laws of thermodynamics, the laws of nuclear energy, um, uh, the, the weak and uh, strong force in the centerpiece of the universe. These things are laws or stipulations or templates that make the physical real, they allow it to even exist. Materialism by itself is a self-contradictory position. So Søren Kretikar says you must look beyond the physical to find significance because you yourself are more than the physical body that you inhabit. Faith requires that jump into the, into the, the unknown. It's moving into the cave that you fear to enter. Because inside that cave you'll find the treasure that you've sought for all your life. But it's dangerous because we find that people who try to go there are afraid. And it makes sense. Going into the depth of the water and sinking into it is dangerous. But there is no other way to find meaning into like first so argues, you must despair of life. Then only then can you taste the beauty of it only then can you appreciate it so finding happiness is not something that we do it's something that happens to us by finding that life itself is not about pleasure it's not about joining communities or doing social services which are all wonderful things by the way but it's about finding who And the meaning for my purpose in my life so I could be a better mother, a better father, a better employee, a better son. And by finding who I am in the transcendent, in that which I will have to face at the end of time, God. Then and only then can I become better able to eat ice cream of joy, better able to raise a child, better able to climb a mountain, better in doing my homework and my work because I'm connected to something greater than myself because life is not about me. Life is about something much bigger, something much more grand. That's where religion comes in. And religion is profoundly interesting and fascinating, but it's also profoundly esoteric and problematic because the spiritual leads people into the most absurd areas of the life. Richard Dawkins argued that God is like the cosmic spaghetti monster. There's no evidence for it. You may as well believe in the spaghetti monster for believing in God. People believe in Santa Claus. Why can't they believe in God too? Well, that's what you need, and what Sir Kurtgaard says, what you believe in God has to also be true, and that you have to test your own motives for why you believe it. Am I trying to get the spiritual? to twist it and turn it like a cosmic jock machine, put my money into it and try to get things out of it, squeeze the cosmic lemon of God for uh, happiness, joy, peace, pleasure, love, wine, and travel to my next destination. That's not what the spiritual is about. It's a lot deeper than satisfying my own pleasures. But it's also something I need to be careful of. Because anybody and their mother, if they're smart enough and charismatic enough can create their own religion and convince enough people and deceive enough people to follow them. That's why it's so important to question your spiritual leaders, your books you read, the things you watch, and more importantly, your motives and why you do it. One of the most profound books I've read this year by um, Jordan Peterson is called 12 Rules of Life. He's got another great book called Maps of Meaning. In there, he says something interesting about finding happiness. He says that pick up the cross of your tragedy and your betrayal. Accept its terrible weight. Host it on your shoulders and struggle impossibly upward toward the kingdom of God on the hill. The alternative is death and hell. Pick up the cross of your tragedy and your betrayal. All of us, at one level or another, have gone through different levels of pain. And if you haven't yet, it's coming. Pick it up and deal with it like a man. Deal with it like a woman. Deal with it with somebody with a sense of responsibility. Deal with it with somebody who can actually take the pain and transform it like this, like a bird going into the proverbial fire of the phoenix. The wood that is in you that's dead wood will burn away into the fire and the crucible of pain and tragedy. The things that don't make you you, who shouldn't make you who the person you should be will end up burning away in pain, in tragedy, and suffering. And when you come out of it, if you can allow yourself to give yourself over to the divine and to God, you can transform that over and give up your wondrous desire for betray, um, revenge and give that person over to God. Let him go. Give them over to the police, give them over to the FBI, give them over to uh, the lawyers to deal with. But at the deeper level, I need to accept responsibility for what I have done or what has been done to me. And pick that up and use it as a way to help other people. Whether I've been raped, whether I've been abused, whether I've been robbed, whether I've been uh, betrayed, whether I've been uh, at a loss, whether I got a diagnosis that's terrible, that's life. I need to deal with that in the best way I can. Not letting people get away with it. I'm not saying that. You get them over to the proper authorities and deal with it properly. But deep within, we need to let it go. One of my students came to me a number of years ago and told me she had um, can't forgive her father for what he abused he did to her when she was little. And I asked her, have you talked to him about it? She said she can't, he's dead. <laughs> well who's, she's the one who's suffering here? She's holding on deeply to a pain that should not have been done to her. But to hold on to it and make it part of her identity is destroying her potential to move from the third to the third stage of happiness. We need to let that go. We need to hope, or pick up our responsibilities as a father, whatever that is, as a mother, as an employee, as a student, and do that to the best of my ability. And if I fall and if I fail, so be it. Let me fall. I'll come back up stronger and better from it. That is where you find significance and happiness. By dealing with responsibility, dealing with tragedy, dealing with suffering in a responsible way, then you find purpose. And when you find purpose, you can do what happened at the end of the the Iliad and the Odyssey. You can lay your head down at night, knowing that you did your best. Knowing that you did what you should do and you sought the divine with all you have, you may fail, but at least you did your best. And that brings you hope. And hope is where you find happiness, in that sense. Soren Kierkegaard wrote in his journal in 1835, I'm going to read portions of this with you. The way I have tried to show in the preceding pages is how these matters actually appeared to me. But when I try now to come to an understanding with myself about my life, things look different. Just as a co- child takes time to learn to distinguish itself from its objects quite a while, so little distinguishes itself from its surroundings. That, like keeping the stress on the passive side. It says things like, me hit the horse, so too the same phenomenon repeats itself at a higher spiritual stage. Therefore, I thought I might gain more peace of mind by making up a new line of study, directing my energies towards some other goal. I might even manage for a while in that way to banish a certain restlessness. Though no doubt, it would have returned with greater effect, like a fever after a relief from a cold drink. So what card is saying here, as a child, I try to find a relief from my um, uh, boredom from the journey, but sooner or later it will return to me. So he continues to write, what I really need is to be clear about what, clear about what I am to do, not what I must know, except in the way of knowledge and peace to proceed all action. It is the question of my understanding of my destiny, of seeing what the deity really wants me to do. The thing is to find the truth, which is true for me, to find the idea for which I am willing to live and die. And what is that thing that you need to find is the truth for yourself, is what Kassar and is saying. I need to find something that is true that I'm willing to die for. Now keep me in mind here, guys. Beware of falling into the deception of relativism, of thinking whatever it is I think is true becomes true merely because I think it's true. It's like me thinking I have hair and a great, you know, Elvis Presley hairstyle. I may believe it with all my heart, but it's just not true. (laughs) No matter how much I believe it. I can believe I don't have a diagnosis of this particular type of cancer, but I still may have it in my blood. The reality is I need to come to terms with what is true and then connect myself with that. And I'll never know what that is unless I study and research it. And once I find out what actually is true in certain areas, at least to the best of my ability, Then this is where Soren Kierkegaard's point comes in. I need to find a truth that is true for me that I'm willing to die for. And Martin Luther King said it the best. Those who do not find something worth living for will never find something worth dying for. So you need to find something that makes you or gives you hope. And you cannot find that by just going after pleasures of life or joining a community. You need to look beyond yourself to the divine. I close with a quote by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a a victim of the Holocaust. And he said the following, don't aim at success. The more you aim at it and make it a target, the more you're going to miss it. For success like happiness cannot be pursued, it must ensue. And it only does so at the unintended side effect of one's personal dedication to a cause greater than oneself or as a, the byproduct of one's surrender to a person greater than oneself. Happiness must happen, and the same holds for success. You have to let it happen by not caring about it. I want you to listen to your com- what your conscience commands you to do, and go and carry it out to the best of your knowledge. Then you will see that in the long run, in the long run I say, Success will follow you precisely because you've forgotten to think about it. Thank you. At this point, I'll open up for discussion or questions that you may have about what I have presented regarding the three stages of life and why we cannot find happiness by pursuing it.
1: Professor, I this is Livier Salazar, I um, was very impressed with your presentation. I don't specifically have any questions, but what you have presented today, I was able to cross-reference it to a book that I was reading uh, about two semesters ago, The Sign of the Cross, and it goes through different stages, and when I got to second to the last uh, chapter, it made a tremendous connection. I'm, I'm a, a very active Catholic, but all along, I didn't think I really understood that suffering is a part of life. And not unless you understand and embrace that suffering and utilize it to be a greater person, you'll continue to live in misery. And you have just completely connected your uh, presentation today to this book. So thank you, truly.
0: Thank you for those insights. That sounds pretty helpful. That's, that is helpful. Thank you so much for
2: I do have a comment. This is Krishanda. Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, the, there's part of your presentation that I took as the human tie to responsibility, that being um, children, if you're a parent, um, employees, if you're a boss, whatever that human connection is to responsibility, um, is that link to happiness. So without that responsibility and that human connection to it, then there is no link to happiness. And that that's kind of my small takeaway on the responsibility part of it once you're entering into the um, ethical stage. And I just was wondering, or I guess, because um, that was one of the things I jotted down. So I was just wondering if there does not exist that human tie to a responsibility. If if that doesn't exist, then, then does the link to happiness also not exist? Can we have responsibilities where there is no human tie to it? and also find that connection to happiness.
0: I'm not sure if I follow the question that you're getting there. Are you, are you saying, is it possible to be happy by following the human um, um, obligations that you have to your fellow man or your children or your community? Well, is that what you're asking? Yeah,
2: so the, the, there's a human connection with you um, in the presentation, I guess you kind of, I, I would say there was a, I mean, there was a, you were alluding to the that responsibility, once you have that responsibility, then you can find some happiness in doing that, whatever it is that it is. But without that human connection, so if, so you, as a parent, you would need a, a child and that child representing that human tie. As a um, employer, you would need the employee, that employee being the human tie. Without that, is there no link or no connection to happiness? Can there exist a responsibility where there is no human connection, there's no human tie, and that would lead to happiness?
3: Uh, Do you mind me interjecting? Uh, So let me ask this. um, What would you consider an example of of something that you wouldn't have a human tie to to have this happiness?
2: That's a good question. Um, I would say maybe gardening. That, that's a responsibility that one can take up. You, you go and you tend to your garden, you tend to your flowers, you make sure that they are cared for or your vegetables, whatever it is you're doing. There's no human connection other than oneself in that. So in that, the, is because the human aspect of it is removed, is there no link to happiness?
0: I, I like your question there. I think we are actually created to be in community. Uh, if you read the book of Genesis, um, first chapter of Genesis, uh, actually second chapter, God says to Adam, it is not good for man to be alone. So even a gardener, ultimately to be a good gardener, he'll have to share his the fruits of his labor, if I may say, <laughs> to others around him. Uh, to find deep meaning and significance in your life, you can't do it in a garden alone. You need others around you. You need others to serve, others to help, others to bandage, others to love, others to love you. So you do need others around you for... Um, Uh, to make you the person you need to be so that you can encounter a deeper sense of who you are with the divine. Very good question.
4: I have a question. Yes. It actually has three questions, but they all connect. So the first one, I don't know if I really understood the, the third stage, which is the spiritual. What it means is that the third stage means leaving your path as your religion morals are told and expected. Like, if your religion is told that you need to respect, do the Ten Commandments, then you need to live in that pathway to to get happiness. Is that what the third stage is?
0: That would be more the second stage. Oh, uh, for example, uh, finding. Um, Following the Ten Commandments, which is in the Jewish tradition. Actually, Islamic and Christian tradition holds similar pathways as well in there. That would be more the second stage. The third stage is going beyond that and asking yourself the question, why am I following the Ten Commandments? Why am I doing it? Am I doing it so God can grant me a new car, a better husband, more healthy children, a healthy body, a nice house? Is that why I'm doing it? So I can get God on my side to serve me? Or am I doing it for a deeper reason because I want to be right with God and find uh, responsibility in everything else in my life and uh, find meaning and significance for that and ultimately toward eternal life? So following the path of the Ten Commandments is more a second level than a third one unless you're doing it for the reason that is um, beyond just impressing other people. Or trying to get something out of God, or squeeze God like a lemon to get Him to do something for me.
4: So if I, for example, I'm following the Ten Commandments not because I want to be seen as a better person, but like because I believe in the Bible and what God told me. If I respect all the Ten Commandments, I'm just a, a how I say it a like a good care for God and seeing your child.
0: That'll do what? I'm sorry.
4: Like for example, if I'm 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 doing the Ten Commandments, not because to be seen for other people, but because I want to do it by myself to do to be a better Christian. Is that can that apply as a third stage or still is the second stage?
0: That would be more the third stage, yes. But you need to ask yourself, why do I quote, want to be a better Christian? Um, Because in human uh, way of seeing the world, we always compare ourselves to others. We always ask, um, are the clothes I'm wearing appropriate to the situation I'm going into? Um, If I'm running for law, I have to compare myself to other lawyers or politicians. So it's always a comparison issue. So it's hard to divorce yourself from that when you get into religion. You end up comparing yourself to other people who are not following the Ten Commandments, right? Um, So you have to question, why do I want to be a better Christian? What is the goal? What is the point? And this is where Soaring Critic Art makes us question ourselves. Am I doing it just to please myself, or am I doing it to please God? And and there is no distinct difference between the two. Ultimately, if you do follow the path of the right and the good and the true, ultimately, happiness does come to you. You can't grasp it, or uh, heaven, that is. Thank you. So do you have a couple other questions?
4: Yes. Um, so also, does it need to be in the certain order, like the first stage, second stage, third stage, or can, can, like for example, can we skip the first stage and go directly to the second stage?
0: This is something scholars have struggled with. It's not like a, a stair that you climb and you move from the first stage and jump to the second, finally you, get, you achieve it. You know, I made it. Now I'm at the third stage. That's not human. Uh, what ends up happening is you end up fluctuating oh, through different stages of life. You end up um, moving toward that which gratifies you and uh, brings you a lot of pleasure or peace or happiness, uh, and then moving into helping uh, other people, and then finally finding a sense of peace and significance of who I am and finding that contentment with myself and finally with God in that sense of peace where I'm finally ready to meet God. Um, so it depends on the stage of life. For example, if I have a child and I'm playing with him on the playground, I will be filled with the first stage of joy with the little boy as he as he encounters a butterfly for the first time or, or scrapes his knee and I'm trying to help him. I'm, I'm caught up in the first stage. Um, as he begins to grow I fluctuate um, during throughout my day. I may go into the second stage and finally through the third stage. I think There's no one place. But what credit card is saying is beware of getting caught in the first stage because that's a childish stage, an immature stage. Beware of being deceived by the second stage of constantly doing social services or helping other people, being part of an organization, because you can lose yourself in the second stage. Once you recognize who you are, that you are created in the image of God, you're very special, and there's a purpose for you in your life, And you can find peace with God and peace with your own self at the same time recognizing your own inadequacies and sins. You have that peace with God and then you have achieved the third stage. But achieving the third stage doesn't make you inhuman. You still, if you're alive long enough, you'll fluctuate between the three stages.
4: Thank you so
1: much. Sure. That's all. That's All
0: right. I have uh Professor,
1: may I ask one final question? Yes. Uh, okay. in stage 3 uh, professor you spoke about redemption, can you go through that uh, process again for me? Uh you were talking about a few examples where uh, a little girl was um abused by her father and um you mentioned something about redemption. Can you help me connect that again?
0: Sure. Uh when somebody's abused, like a situation with my student who was abused by her father and she couldn't find any, uh, any peace and she, she was very angry at him, legitimately so, the problem with it is that the man died. And she was holding that anger, that resentment, that bitterness and rage to the point where she went into um, emotional and spiritual psychosis. She wasn't able to progress in life. In order for her to release that and give him up to God, let God deal with him, let God punish him. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, is a concept in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament. It's releasing to the divine those who have hurt you. So you don't have to hurt them yourselves. Um, Mm -hmm. Forgiveness, if I may put it this way, is the fragrance a rose gives off after being stepped on. That, That forgiveness is the fragrance a rose gives off after being stepped on. That fragrance that you release is the releasing of your right, let me hear that clearly, your right to hurt somebody back. You let it go. You give them up to the divine. That's the third stage. She gives up her right to hurt her father back. Because she can't hurt him back. Secondarily, um, ultimately, only the divine can deal with him. And then she uses the fragrance to help other people who have suffered similar ways and find meaning in by taking up the responsibility of helping other people who also suffered. And through that, she finds redemption for herself. Beautiful. Ultimate redemption, according to Soren Kierkegaard, comes through Christ and his, his vicarious suffering for us. And that is um, a symbol or a, an archetype of our individual sufferings.
1: Thank you, Professor. Sure. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Uh, Let's see here. Aldoras wrote, um, it's good to question your religious leaders and sacred texts. Is it possible to not fully agree with something that is taught in your religion and still want to be part of it? Or does it make you want to lose yourself in the process? That's a very good question. Uh, It is very much possible to be Catholic and not agree with everything that comes out of the Vatican, (laughs) or to be Baptist and not agree with everything that's being taught in your Baptist church, of course or to be Muslim and not agree with what's happening in Islam, of course it's very much possible. You're human. (laughs) The problem comes in with uh, not being able to raise your voice and express that in a safe place. If you're not in a place in your religion or you're in your community where you're able to be an individual and to question, to raise um, concerns, then maybe you need to question whether you should be in there at all. Not necessarily to leave your faith, but maybe to leave the particular church that you're in or community, because they may not be open for change. When they're not open for change, they're not open for growth. When they're not open for growth, they're definitely not open to redemption. At that point, they live in the second stage, pretending like they're in the third stage.
3: So um, concerning the comment you just made, what would you recommend um i guess, as bystanders to try to help um someone in that sense that is struggling in the aspect that they are because um, i'm I'm all for everyone to have their own beliefs, you know um accepting of everyone's beliefs like you do you um however, though, like you said like you said it earlier you're like you can be the most religious person you can be the worst person ever um so like what would you consider to be the best way to go about it to help someone um kind of not not necessarily like to convince them because then at that point it sounds like someone has a personal agenda um but rather like help them see um i guess in a sense what might be wrong with them uh, who's speaking, by the way? Uh, it's Ben. 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 Uh,
0: there may be something behind the question that I'm missing, so I may have to ask you to expand on exactly what you mean by it. Uh, but in generally speaking, if you find somebody who's hardened in their way, like the a, 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 a proverbial mental rock, and they're unwilling to change, then there is no, the best thing you can do for them is not help them because you're wasting your time. Uh, There's the old adage that says um, you have to shake the dust off your feet and walk away because um, there are some people who are unwilling or they're not able at this particular stage in their journey to hit what's called rock bottom. And some people do not change when they see the light. They only change when they feel the heat. So you can shine as much philosophical, psychological, and religious light to them as you want. If they're not at the stage in their life where it's more painful to be where they are than where they could be, they won't change. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say is there's the old concept of dropping a seed and waiting for it to sprout. It's doing the right thing for the right reason and trusting God for the result. So if there's somebody struggling and they're, or they're abusing uh, their position or their family or they're hurting other people, and I have to actually step in as a sense of responsibility and say something to them and let them know lovingly, at that point, I've done what I could and I need to say it, whether they want to hear it or not, or report them if they are abusing their position or their power, because it's my responsibility to do it and I am derelict of my duty if I stay silent. Um, so I need to speak up and say something to them. Um, and one of the best ways i found is if they're open to it, then I can sit down and have a deep conversation with them and express my position and do it in a way that's questioning them rather than condemning them. Because I'm not God and I'm not uh, the position of a prophet, but I am their friend and because I love them, it's my responsibility to tell them, this is hurting you and it's hurting others. I need to tell you because I care. How they deal with it is up to them.
3: Okay, yeah, it's that's um, a really um, really good insight. Somebody just asked in the
0: comment section, do you think there is so much hatred in our world because people have not reached stage three? I think that's partially true, yes. Um, the ancient scriptures call it sin, which is a divorce from the spiritual um, connection to, to the divine, to the God, um, to, to Christ, and to the, the, uh, the, the universal beauty. And one of the ways people deal with their hatred and their pain is by hurting other people. And they don't even realize they're doing it. That's the sad part, or justifying it, which makes it worse. So yes, I think um, there's some truth to that. People have not reached stage three. Um, Many people who are religious live in stage two as well. So just because you look like you're religious or spiritual doesn't mean you are. Somebody asked, will this be recorded? Uh, Yes, it is actually being recorded now so the FBI can listen to it. (laughs) Uh, Not that they want to listen, they have better things to do. Uh, Somebody else asked, um, I'm talking about violence, racism, corruption, yes, of course. Definitely, those stem from staying in stage two. All right. All right, guys, we're getting a 3.15 mark. If there's anybody else, last time, I'm going to close it up. Last. uh, Oh, I have one question. Yes. So for Jay Campbell, uh, from his perspective, so
4: is he saying that happiness has to come, like, happen to you, or is he saying that
2: responsibility itself is happiness?
0: Uh, Joseph Campbell says, uh, finding happiness is about going on a journey and recognizing part of the journey is falling and breaking and getting hurt and possibly dying. So, finding happiness, according to Joseph Campbell, is going on the adventure of life, being the hero in your own story. And part of that is taking the responsibility before you, as what I'm doing is linking it to Soren Kierkegaard. And finding happiness is about doing what you are called by God to do with the best way you can. Getting hurt in the process, but finding meaning and significance from it, and then you find happiness, or happiness finds you. Excuse me, if I put it correctly. Oh, okay, I understand now. Okay, all right, guys. Thank you for being with me. It was a pleasure.